Have you ever been on a journey map, Reed? I've never been on a journey map. I think it's really important for us to journey map different parts of our lives. Everybody's talking about journey mapping like it's like the newest, best thing. Well, it is the summer, so it's a good time for it. Is that a road trip or does that involve flying? Uh, it really depends on what you're interested in, I guess, and where you live. You know, if you're a beach person, you know, you may have to drive a little further. Maybe take a plane. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. All right, welcome to episode 72 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined by Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, you sound very chipper today. Yeah, it's middle of the day versus end of the day. A little inside baseball, or whatever the correct analogy is, I guess. Metaphor? Analogy? What are you going to say here? (laughs) Typically, we record uh, in the evening, not even evening hours, night hours. So depending on the day, could be a... uh, could be dragging a little bit. Hopefully that has not come across. So anyway, we're, we're like at noon today. So yeah. Well, welcome to the middle of the day. The middle of your Monday. I hope the middle of your Monday is as good as the middle of our Monday. Uh, we are here recording episode number 72, uh, which is interesting. So this is on uh, the customer journey for long time. Actually, you'd have to be really long time listeners, you may, not that we haven't talked about journey mapping and the customer journey or customer experience, certainly, but we talked about this way, way back. Like way, 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 way back, which is, I think, episode one. This is our topic, customer journey mapping. Isn't that crazy to think about that? I mean, 72 episodes ago, 71 episodes ago, or however the math works on that. Back then, it was a whole different world. (laughs) A whole different world. So much has happened in the last year and a half, I think, uh, particularly around customer journey mapping. I actually thought it might be good for us to kind of come back to that, Reed, and revisit the topic. I know that we've talked about it throughout the years in in our show, but uh, maybe just go back and kind of reorient yep. against the customer journey mapping. I think it's a good time for us to do that. Well, that's, that's awesome. Now, I will say you mentioned some things have changed. One of the things that's changed since we talked about this the first time is now we have mm-hmm. supporters and sponsors. We do. Uh, one of those is Loyal. And uh, let's face it, other chat solutions, they're out there, but they're slow. They're labor intensive. And honestly, uh, maybe they're just not quite smart enough. So we're introducing and have been introducing the latest solution from Loyal, which is called Guide. Guide uses powerful AI-driven algorithms. So I guess when you say it's, if it's smart enough... It really is because AI is making it smart. It's a chat bot that engages patients in a dynamic conversation while helping them every step of their online journey, kind of appropriate for today's episode, uh, from choosing a doctor to finding the nearest location or even applying for a job. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, maybe check out Guide. Uh, We highly recommend that you do. Uh, Surf over Mm -hmm. to loyalhealth.com. Com and you can learn a little bit more and schedule that demo. And, and, and as always, be sure to tell them we sent you. 
So Reed, I was thinking about the customer journey. Well, I, I usually just sit around all day long and think about the customer journey. In particular, <laughs> something came up in a conversation last week where someone mentioned path to purchase. Have you ever heard that term, path to purchase? Path to purchase? I No, no. I think some people actually use that term and they, they think of that as like the, the entire customer journey, right? The, the, the way that they go in order to purchase from your organization. And while I think that sometimes it's, it's okay to think about path to purchase and online consumer journeys or customer journeys as being the same, in this particular case, I think there was just a big distinct difference between that. Should I explain to you what I mean? Yeah, fill me in. Path to purchase, to me, implies that there's a transaction. They're on their way to buying something. And I think that that's a very discreet journey that customers take, particularly if they're ready in the, in the market to, to buy from you. That makes sense in many cases. Retail, consumer packaged goods, your path to purchase is a good and important customer journey. But that's just one of the many journeys that customers can take for you. And when you start looking at the overall consumer journey, it's bigger than that, right? Well, sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not always about purchasing something, at least not that time. And in hospitals and health systems, a lot of times who we're talking to at the front end, maybe they're not actively seeking out your care right now, but you're starting to build a relationship with them, or you're at least are trying to build a relationship with them. So they're not necessarily on the path to purchase, but they're out there. They're on the path to being engaged with. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. The path to consider, there's a longer lead time there. For most consumer goods, it's a pretty definitive, you didn't know about them. You, and I'm simplifying this, but you didn't know about them. You do know about them. You've determined there's a need and then you buy something you, or you do some mm -hmm. research or whatever. There's different steps in there. You can get super granular, obviously. But it's different in the sense that like you and I end up at a conference and, you know, I'll pick shoes because I like shoes. I see your shoes. I see somebody else's shoes. And it's like, oh, you know, I wasn't aware of that shoe before I saw it. Then I decide, you know, I too need a pair. That's not really the way healthcare works. Maybe there is some elective stuff that could potentially work that way, even down to simple things like, you know, teeth whitening or something, I guess. But for the most part, when we're talking about hospitals, that's not the way that works. And then there's the other thing that's on the flip side, on the other side of the journey, which is after they buy it, a lot of times you know, organizations and even packaged goods, consumer packaged goods and retail organizations are starting to talk about this. There's that whole thing about building the experience or having the retention, that loyalty, that advocacy, right? That lifelong uh, loyal follower of the brand. Mm -hmm. And in healthcare, that becomes very important too. Yeah, because it, there's plenty of choices, right? And there will continue to be plenty of choices. I mean, we see even non-traditional entries into that place, whether it's like uh, flu shots, for example, and you've got CVS or Walgreens or whoever, you know, where they haven't really participated in that care delivery world until now. When we talk about the customer journey or the customer life cycle, we really want to talk about more than just the path to purchase. And so that's why I thought maybe we could walk through the stages of that customer life cycle and kind of break down the entire user journey, at least as, as a way to kind of analyze and understand that. And maybe then we can use that as a way to talk about how digital can impact that. Yeah, let's do it. So you mentioned this when you're talking about shoes. You said you suddenly became aware that there's these new shoes. Right. 
sure you were talking about me and my shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly. But the very first top of the funnel stuff is the awareness phase. And that's really where the relationship with a customer or potential customer can begin. When they first become aware of the existence of your, whatever it is, your brand, your product, or your service. And in most cases, your work will just, you know, will have started long before this because you're maybe out there doing PR, maybe branding efforts, whatever. In today's world, consumers are just as likely to hear about your brand via word of mouth recommendations from friends, family members, social media. There's a lot of ways people can start to become aware of your brand, right? We hope it's via word of mouth or maybe marketing activities. That's, that's what we hope it's because of, or advertising activities. It's not just advertising activities though, right? Because it's everything else. It's We've been talking about this, Reed, like people writing online reviews and maybe you're, you're at a party and someone says, you know, I never... I never take my mom to that hospital. You know, the last last time she went there, she had a really bad experience. And suddenly mm-hmm. the awareness of that brand becomes tainted because of something you heard through word of mouth. It's funny how long that lingers. And we've talked about this before. That gets passed down even generationally, especially in small towns or with sole community providers and things like that. Somebody, dad, granddad, whoever had a had a bad experience that gets passed down through the generations. And then, uh, you know, they're not even making their own determination. In that regard, when you're talking about that first stage of the journey, there's a lot of things that can really impact the potential consumer or the existing consumer that's engaging with your brand, with your hospital or whatever. I thought it might be good for us to kind of talk a little bit at high level about some of the digital tools and strategies that maybe impact that awareness phase. Yeah. So in in relation to awareness, uh, some of those digital tools and strategies, online media relations, we've seen some organizations do this really well. Uh, Mayo Clinic does it, Cook Children's does it with kind of that online newsroom, brand journalism type of an execution. So they're creating these assets and positioning them for a certain audience online. And so that's a great one because the idea that people are just coming to our, our websites to just catch up on what we've been up to, that doesn't happen. Like consumers don't come to your website and read press releases. They just don't. Other industry folks might. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not saying that it's not a good idea to have it there because then that gets into SEO and a whole bunch of stuff. But this is a way to position a lot of that content uh, to actually help and aid, you know, those folks that work in the news sector. You also have like online reputation management. We've talked about that extensively, a couple episodes around that. Third-party listing management, Facebook, Google reviews. Online advertising. So, you know, PPC. Uh, we've even talked about the machine learning, kind of some of the AI-related pieces. But display ads, third-party sites, et cetera. And to a lesser extent, and I only say that because of the evolution of social media lately, lately, but social media might be good in the awareness phase. I mean, it's becoming less and less efficient, particularly around Facebook. Social media, even blog activity might be a way to get people to become aware of some of the stuff you do that could be organic or paid. Some organizations are spending more time in the CRM uh, space, the personalization piece of it. So, you know, modeling and actually getting content out to people. And so from an awareness standpoint, you can see how that makes a lot of sense. Once you know what the person quote unquote looks like, uh, it makes it easier to reach more of those people. 
And that's why you might do lead generation through email marketing and things like that. Mobile kind of plays a role here too, but that's really more around advertising. I'm hearing more and more that mobile advertising works really effectively in the awareness phase. And I think that's partly because there's not a lot of people, the real estate is not as cluttered as it is online. I don't know. That's a theory, I guess. But I think that that, that's an opportunity there too, right? Uh, Digital signage, uh, we're starting to see that more and more, uh, whether that's like a kiosk-based execution in in lobbies and things like that. Of course, you see the big TVs Mm -hmm. or the big monitors on walls, whether that's uh, in the rooms themselves. We have a little ticker along the bottom of the screen. It could be more wayfinding that has additional pieces to it that you see throughout the organization. And so when you're measuring all of this stuff in the awareness phase, you really want to look at, you know, what are your customer acquisition strategies? You know, how are audiences responding, doing your persona work to really try to do targeting and stuff like that. There's a whole analytics layer there that becomes really important for the awareness phase. But that's like top of the funnel stuff that we're talking about, Reed. What's the next segment in the funnel? Engagement. So once people know about you, you want them to then engage with you or aware of something that you offer or something you're involved in. So this really kind of goes down the path of customers making a more significant decision and they, they're actually engaging with the brand um, or, you know, and a lot of times with what we're talking about, marketing content. So they'll initially follow you or uh, like what you're doing or whatever that may be. Could be that they're filling out a form, so they're signing up for emails or maybe some affinity group or something like that. In addition, you know, they're going to start, you know, seeing what everyone else is saying about you and some of those types of things. So they're starting to participate. They are. And when you're and when you're talking about some of the ways that you could map digital to this phase, you know, that's where people spend a lot of time on their website to make sure that there's some really good content there that's, you know, easy for them to look at and and more importantly, easy for them to kind of opt in, maybe learn more information like online health risk assessments might be something really good here as a kind of a touch point into it. You know, I'm not really in the market for heart care, but, you know, if you want to share with me what my heart age is, that's, you know, maybe that, that'll engage me a little bit, even like webinars and other things like that, right? Yeah, those educational opportunities. And so, you know, some uh, HRAs uh, or even just kind of quizzes even that different folks have used and even different vendors provide, have a different level. You know, some of it may actually be far enough down the path that it's more of a consideration. But at this point, yeah, it's a little more of that uh, high level engagement because they've made a connection to your brand. And then, you know, you got things like social media where you, you start to respond to people. People, this happens a lot, right? Where they're asking you questions over social media because your website's too hard to find information or maybe they just find it as like the big easy button. Using uh, social media in a, in a way to kind of start to engage with people, write back to them, have that two-way dialogue with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you say the easy button. People have kind of taken to the um, Facebook messages as being that. And, and hopefully that's where AI comes into play for the website. You know, so we're talking about some other supportive technologies, but if they're able to just ask the website that question versus ask via Facebook, that could be a potential opportunity there. So we're seeing social media blogs, you know, things that people can engage with different email programs or automation, you know, even SMS uh, and different apps uh, potentially around, around some of the offerings as well. And then, you know, some of the stuff we were just talking about, uh, Loyal's chatbot solutions, 
Chatbots are a great way to engage with people. You know, maybe they come to your website, they don't find exactly what they're looking for. They have just some questions and you can use, you know, chatbots and even AI or even, you know, call centers to kind of help answer some high level questions. They're not necessarily ready to buy, but they're just kind of like, they're, they're just trying to find a way. And, and every touch point you have with someone in this stage, it really is designed to help increase that engagement. Yeah, because, you know, once they're engaged, then they kind of move down that path towards evaluation. This is where they're starting to actually actively research uh, and maybe even compare. You know, they've gotten a little bit, you know, they've engaged a little bit, maybe engaged with some of your competitors potentially, and they're kind of forming their own opinion. But now they're really starting to kind of use what everyone else is saying as a litmus test a little bit. And you know, what's also interesting is on this evaluation phase, there's a there's a subset of people out there that are like, I guess they would call themselves, you know, they're self starters, or they like they like self service tools. They don't want to talk to people, but they want to have tools available to kind of answer their questions. This is a great place for that, where you can give them some of these self-service tools. And this is where you maybe want to, you know, like the find a doctor is a good a good example of this, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're pulling doctors trying to see exactly what's the right doctor. Maybe they're even looking at locations. Oh, is your urgent care closer than the primary care? That sort of thing. What services are offered at those locations? You know, can I get done at this location, which happens to be closer to me versus where I've been going? Uh, obviously, reputation management plays into this, uh, whether that's uh, some of the more formalized pieces, maybe the transparency initiatives you have in your site, or it's the you know third-party review sites play into that obviously quite a bit. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, even there, you know, they they're kind of looking to see how you respond, right? Here in the evaluation phase, they're looking to see like, are these guys like good? Are they even worth my time to consider them? And social media is there too, right? Because social media, it's like, not only are they evaluating how you respond, but they're evaluating like how smart you are or how much quality care that you have, right? So they're now looking at these channels a little bit differently for different types of content. So they can actually look to see what your organization is like. Yeah. I mean, as a consumer myself, and I'm not talking about healthcare necessarily, but since I spend a lot of time in healthcare, when I look at other organizations online, you know, are they responsive? And so that that tells me something. Um, from a thematic standpoint, am I seeing the same thing over and over again? Right. So if I come to your hospital's Yelp profile or Facebook account or something, and, and every review has to do with billing, well, then that creates some concern in my mind that I too am going to have to deal with that. Right. Exactly. And so you're making those kind of judgment calls. So. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, CRM and analytics, you know, play into all these stages, I think, to some degree. They do. They do. You're looking at different things at this stage, right? You're looking to really understand how they're evaluating. It's really, if you're doing it right, if you're measuring and understanding your consumers right, you're understanding their preferences, maybe ways that you could shortcut the evaluation phase to make it easier for them to to put the right information to them so they can, you know, make that evaluation and move on to the next phase, Reed, which is the selection phase is the stage in which consumers make final decisions. You know, providing help that potential customers need at this point is critical. They say that 83% of consumers require some degree of support while making an online purchase. That's a lot of people. I'm one of those that doesn't seek out help, but there are a lot of people that don't mind help here. 53% abandon that purchase if they can't find a quick answer to their question. 
I believe that. And quite honestly, I would have thought the 53% would have been higher almost. You know, if I just think about my everyday life, I think Amazon does a good job of this. I can go there. I can shop and compare. I can read reviews, you know, et cetera. So, you know, they're bringing it together all in one place. And so if you look at, you know, what does that mean for a hospital? You know, people want to be able to do these things all in one place. You know, they don't want to have to surf all over the web to get to this point. So from your website standpoint, what does the interoperability look like? Can you make appointments? Can I choose a physician based on who's available when, you know, and some of that kind of stuff. So, and you can't do that unless, uh, number one, it's easy to connect with somebody. Again, AI or chat related, phone, uh, or just from a, you know, integrated tool standpoint, maybe it's integrated into the EHR or something like that. Yeah, that online appointment scheduling. You know what's interesting enough is online advertising also plays a role here, Reed. Um, in my experience, you know, w- when you're out there promoting specifically, we have same day appointments or next day appointments. These are people ready to make a selection, you know, so they're already at that point. Whatever you can do online through Google to bring them to that specific place and be sure to bring them right to that point where they can actually make that appointment, that's an important piece here. So when you're, if you're doing advertising, it's not just at that high-end awareness phase. It's also here right at that selection phase. Yeah, and if, if you're part of your growth strategy is access points, right? And so uh, in that case, when you're looking at PPC and some of those things, you know, people doing the near me search – uh, so ER near me, urgent care near me, you know, that kind of thing. You know, that's how some of this advertising can play into that, that particular strategy. So it's important. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Once they make that selection, there's your path to purchase right there, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. It ends. You're done, right? So we don't have to do any more? Nope. That's it. We're finished. We hand the baton to the quality department at this point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, as we've been talking about, right, it's like it goes further than that. And so now, obviously, um, experience is a big part of this. And, you know, marketing is becoming part of experience, patient experience and our audience uh, experience. So we know the stats, right? Attracting a new customer is six to seven times more expensive than keeping an existing one. Um the life cycle really of the customer doesn't begin until the experience stage, I believe, because right, quite frankly, that now you have them as a customer, now your job is to retain them and make sure they're loyal to you. So this is really an important part of this. And, and a lot of times, you're right, Reed, it's like as marketers, we just stop here. We're done, right? We measure ROI and we say we're good. I think as marketers, we need to start reaching into the experience uh, segment a little bit further. Well, because historically as an advertiser, because we, we weren't marketing departments, we were advertising departments, digital wasn't what it is now. So we can play a much larger role in the experience based on portals and bill pay, 
uh, and some of those types of things, even wait time widgets and all that kind of good stuff, you know, online appointment setting, like we talked about, et cetera, all that weighs into their overall experience of how their visit was or their engagement with you was. And so I think that's important. We talked about the digital monitors or wayfinding type stuff in the, in the facilities. Well, that's another one, you know, that kind of falls to us, right? It sure does. In fact, I was working with an organization recently and found out that, you know, that they were doing everything they can to help patients come to their appointments and sending them text message reminders, et cetera. And then they show up at the hospital and they had no idea where to go. Right. So the experience dropped off. And that's the reason behind they had huge cancellations is because people just didn't know where to go when they showed up at the hospital. It's funny, as an aside, I was in a hospital some years ago and I was standing on the second floor and stopped somebody and asked where this particular place was. You know, and they're like, oh, that's a different second floor. I was like, what? And she was like, and you, and you can't get there from here. Now, what she meant was, is you can't continue along the second floor and eventually get to this other second floor. What she meant was, is you have to go back downstairs and across and then through a thing and then up another set of elevators to another second floor, right? But this idea mm-hmm. that like you can't get there, I was like, so literally just nothing I can do. I'll never in my lifetime get to this other second floor. And then she looked at me weird and I realized I'd probably crossed a line, but (laughs) so it's, it's just funny. So from, yeah, wayfinding is a big deal and that's something that we can play, play a role in. And then two, I don't want to overlook, you know, the analytic piece of this. So the measurement, the collective piece of it. So how are we collecting the data around people's experiences within our organizations? And then how are we working with operations in the clinical side of the house to better that process? Um, and so that's really, I think, where we've got an opportunity as uh, you know, on the experience side of the equation. And another piece too here, Reed, is uh, after a patient leaves our carer, they usually get, you know, they get reminders of follow-on appointments. Maybe they get that retention type of communications, maybe patient education re- re- communications, or, or maybe they even get started to communicate, you know, from the foundation for fundraising. Now that you're here, you had your heart surgery here, you know, are you interested in giving back or what have you? All of these tactics really relate to experience and digital plays a strong role here. And I think that, you know, we can align the same digital tactics that we're using to engage with these people, you know, like emails, marketing automation. You know, I hear a lot about like on the, on foundation that, you know, they're using BlackBot and, and these other like email engagement programs for donors. What they're doing is they're using marketing automation oh, as sure. a way to engage with these people. They call it something different, but yes, that's it's all it is. It's really what it is. And then, you know, like patient education materials or things that they, instead of giving a big packet of paper, maybe, you know, create online places where they can actually go get this general discharge information. And that could be the EMR, that could be their, their patient portal, or it could be, here's just a great resource for rehabilitative exercises for people that had your surgery, you might want to consider, you know, to, to look at, whatever it might be, whatever you can do to use digital to kind of enhance the experience becomes really important. And then that leads us to the final stage. So after experience, that's not the only stage, right? The final stage, read is when you can actually cement your relationship with that customer and get them to bond with your brand, right? This becomes where the brand loyalty occurs. Providing quality service and support, nurturing connections with proactive engagement, and taking every opportunity to create sort of that emotional bond with with that individual, that consumer. 
Bonding. I thought that had something to do with like people that were really into James Bond movies, but <laughs> or maybe that's like something like you know you met your spouse while at a James Bond movie or something. Is bonding? <laughs> anyway. Is that bonding? Okay, um, getting off track here. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I think this is one of those things where it's. I mean, just like with employees, you want to re-recruit high performers. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the idea that, you know, trying to, to attain new customers uh, is more expensive than keeping existing customers. And so you won't be able to feel this loyalty. You know, the place you see this most often, if you want to see an example, is is NICU. You know, people that have been through that experience and they have NICU reunions, right? We already do this as an organization. We have NICU reunions and things like that every year. These people come back and they're just overly indebted and grateful to these nurses and doctors and different people that work on these units. And they have a different view and tie to an organization through what you could argue is not a great experience. Like that's not where you want to be when you're there. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. they just have this just overwhelming gratitude to these folks. And I've even seen some of this kind of cascade over to like Facebook groups where people are talking about their experiences and connecting. You know, we talked about online patient communities. This is a great place where you can start to develop this sort of this bonding relationship. And your brand wants to be participating in that. You have the tools now to really, you know, start to talk and engage with them and make sure that even though maybe their experience wasn't that great, that you show that you care. And so, you know, this also can extend into a variety of other things that you do. Testimonials are a great way to kind of build that bond. There's nothing better than building like an online video testimonial with someone who had a really tough experience, but they, you know, you, you actually help them change their lives. And that, by the way, those types of activities actually start to influence the top of the funnel again, because you put out this great testimonial and then suddenly people who weren't aware of your services are suddenly aware again. You mentioned online uh, groups and things like that. And that's just where, yeah, we have an opportunity to, um, you know, put some of these advocates in these folks that, you know, speak very highly of your brand in front of others potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And online reviews and all of this stuff. Now, the stuff at the end of the journey really starts to influence the beginning of the journey again. Mm-hmm. And it can influence many different phases along the, the journey itself. But right. when you're talking about that that customer journey and how digital can play to it, you're really building sort of this ecosystem of how digital kind of works and interoperates together. Because some of the things you're doing at one stage influences other stages. Absolutely. Um, this all builds, you know, one to the next for sure. One of the things before we wrap this, maybe we could talk a little bit about when we work with organizations nowadays, Reed, sometimes it's really hard for people to see the whole journey. Do you want to just briefly touch on why? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of different things there. We, we try to have a linear path. We try to show a linear path of like, here's a person and here's how they're going to proceed through the organization. But that's not really how it works because we don't know, because no, no, no two journeys are the same. I mean, you kind of, I guess, at a high level say that they are to some degree. So you could say a female in her 20s with a normal you know, labor and delivery experience you know, or something like that, right? Like we're not getting into NICU, we're not getting into, it's just a, you know. And so you could kind of map that out, but there's so many iterations of this 
based on what their expectations are. Is it their first child? Are they having multiples? Uh, and just all kinds of stuff, right? So that's that's one of the, I think that the hard parts, the tripping parts, is we've tried to try to make these a succinct, very linear path. I think so too, and I think that also different audiences are also influencing customer journeys. So we haven't even talked about you know the offline experiences. And so those offline experiences, it could be that the physician itself is making different types of referrals and maybe contrasting with that. So when you look at journey mapping as like a continuum across the enterprise, you also have to look to see how your digital is supporting those other audiences, physicians, maybe your employees, people throughout your organization that could be influencing or positively or negatively uh, influencing that journey. The takeaway here is, is you've got to step back, look at your organization Determine who is involved in the experience, which is everybody, I guess, to some degree. But how do you evaluate what that experience is? Uh, and then start looking at, you know, well, what, how do we try to map people through uh, the experience of coming to our organization? Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Okay, so Reed, let's face off on an argument or topic around journey mapping and around the customer journey. And we've talked a lot about digital journeys today in this episode. And, um, you know, looking back at the previous arguments we've had, one thing that we haven't really talked really high on is the fact that how much influence does the digital journey have over the entire journey? Because we know, you know, customer journeys are both offline and online. And I would be willing to go on the record today to argue for the fact that the digital journey, when done right, supersedes the offline journey in that more people will forgive offline journey tra- transactions that are not very good if the online experience can help support and make it better. I don't think there's any way that I don't think we're to that point yet. I mean, I wish we were, but I just don't think that that's possible. I mean, ultimately they're there for the in-person experience. You know, everything happens ultimately in person, at least 99% of the time in healthcare. So the idea that somehow the digital experience is going to supersede or forgive those transgressions, 
I just don't see how that is. I don't see how digital makes the fact that, you know, the food's cold better. <laughs> well, okay, I agree that might not make the food cold, but giving them an avenue in which they can actually complain and having someone that can respond to that to make it feel like you're being heard, I think that people will be willing to forgive that a little bit as long as, you know, I'm not saying to make the food cold and then, you know, say that Twitter or your social media will take over in that in that case. You want to always strive to have a better offline experience, but if you have an online experience that's receptive and understanding, and really tries to spend time developing that relationship with your consumers, that that is going to basically allow people that maybe have the cold food in the hospital forgive you a little bit because at least they had a place where they can actually talk about it and, you know, complain. I mean, I get that that's helpful. I'm not saying that it's not helpful. I would, I would just rather it all go well in person. Like, I, I don't want to have to do all those things. That's just another step. And if we not rely on it, but if that becomes a mechanism in which we really combat a lot of these things, then eventually that becomes noticeable. Yeah, but and, and the other thing that you're overlooking, though, Reed, is that more and more consumers, they're opting for, you know, virtual care, telehealth. All of these things, you know, they just want more convenience. That's really what they want. They don't care a lot about the offline experience. You know, to them, if you could solve it over their iPad, they'd be so happy. No, I agree. But we can't do surgery via telehealth or have a baby via telehealth or some of those types of things. And so, you know, we can't get away from the in-person experience. Um, And we can't provide emergency medicine or trauma or any of that stuff via telehealth. And so... You know, this is still very much a in-person, you know, in real life dominated uh, experience. And so I just, I don't think that there's a way, uh, sure, it's a great outlet and it may ultimately help people, especially with things like billing or, you know, something that they would like rectified or seen handled differently or make them feel like they were heard. Sure. Uh, but I'm not sure that that, that really supersedes anything. I don't, I don't know, Reed. I'm going to have to say, you know, that it'll certainly, I'm not saying that you should have a bad offline experience, but I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to sit firmly over here on this side that says, if you do it right digitally, people will forgive you. People will overlook some of these things. Uh, of course, you have to have the good quality. Don't get me wrong. You can't have a really bad surgery and expect, you know, a good website or email is going to solve that problem. But, you know, the little minor transgressions, really become meaningless in the overall scheme of things if you have that good online experience. And you and I have talked about this before, given the fact that, you know, some of the major pain points people have with their care can be solved digitally, paying their bill, reaching out to their doctor, diagnosing the small stuff without having to wait two weeks and, you know, to, for a doctor's appointment, all of that stuff, I think digital is going to rule the day. Well, I guess we'll just have to agree that uh, you're wrong and just move on. So. <laughs> Ha <laughs> 
All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. In order to help level set this, I decided to bring in an expert that I've known for many years, worked together with her many years ago as well, and she still is doing some really cool stuff. And that's my good friend, Anne Stajahar. Anne, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you have your podcast voice on exactly. today. <laughs> so, Anne... Um, not many people in our audience may not know who you are. So can you want to give a little history about your background and what you're doing now? Sure. I mean, show my age. Um, <laughs> for, for the most part, you know, I have really uh, been in healthcare for over 20 years. Um, started early in pharmaceutical sales, launching very innovative, disruptive products in the birth control market. Um, Nuvering and Marina. And it was, it was an interesting experience. But from there, um, moved into working for health grades. Mm-hmm. And was actually very early on with HealthGrades um, as an organization as they started. And, you know, from my time at uh, HealthGrades, I was there over a decade, ended up working a little bit with Everyday Health and um, what to expect when you're expecting mm-hmm. and that digital asset, and then transitioning to the advisory board and doing and focusing more on um, digital technology and transformation uh, for the consumer. And then, of course, you know, recently, most recently, we had the acquisition by Optum. Mm. And um, I've had the opportunity to work with strategy consulting inside of Optum uh, for digital transformation and really looking at organizations as they're going through their journeys and, you know, what's needed from the consumer perspective to look at different technologies that may alleviate, you know, some of the friction that's actually mm-hmm. created uh, yeah. in the environment right now and the convenience factor that needs to happen. Optimal Advisory Services, you're working with organizations on digital transformation. When you say digital transformation, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> Definitely a, a challenging topic. And then I think for so many, it's a, certainly a journey and it's a question of where you're at with your own existing plan and assets, where you're spending your dollars. Mm-hmm. So many organizations are still quite honestly focused on traditional media buy. Yeah. And whereas you need that and you need brand and the ability to go out and, and spend a portion of your budget there, we're seeing organizations certainly still struggling to move to what is even a 60-40 digital spend. And and some of this is a function of, honestly, um, senior leadership at the hospitals, I think, frequently, you know, on their their casual drive into work saying, why didn't I see a billboard? Why did I not get a a mailer? Why am I not hearing an ad on the radio? You know, the marketer is still struggling, certainly, to be able to provide information to their senior leadership that, in fact, no, we're out there. We're just in a different format. We're in your pocket now. Right. Look on your iPhone. Really getting to that um, place where consumers are mm-hmm. and, and want to be is still such a struggle for the hospitals. But in a lot of the work that we focus on and what we want to do is take that consumer-first approach and look at how they journey through the hospital system. So a lot of folks do journey mapping, yeah. undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to be a, a bit of the talk. But that approach to journey mapping, I think, is, is what's key. And there are a lot of differentiators as organizations are looking at how they do their journey mapping um, is, I think, an important factor. Right. So journey mapping, something in the digital marketing space we hear a lot, right? Mm -hmm. We do journey mapping to identify how do we acquire and get consumers to become aligned with our brand and actually select our brand. But then there's the operational side of journey mapping as well, which is once that consumer becomes now a patient, how do they flow through that entire care continuum? And then they have their experience, and then they use that experience to then conversely 
feedback, maybe loyalty into the brand, or maybe they splinter off and leave the brand, right? The journey mapping that we conduct has the ability to look at the longitudinal claim and to see and understand where that patient is actually dropping off. And then further doing surveying so that the hospital can respond appropriately at those drop-off points and potentially intervene or touch base with that patient at that right moment in time that will keep them inside of the healthcare system. And having that in, that information where they might potentially drop off is not only helpful for operational redesign, right, which is important, right. but that can really inform future marketing and communication efforts in the marketplace, right? Certainly. I mean, I think so many people are um, focused, too, on pitching, pitching, pitching um, mm-hmm. constantly, um, but they can't catch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that ability to actually have the operational component that's there where a hospital is truly marketing mm-hmm. and relying on spend where there's access for the patient mm-hmm. is very much so um, a big component where it's key. Looking at the, the longitudinal claims, looking at those patient drop-off points, and actually potentially identifying that the reason they may not be um, affiliating themselves permanently with your organization is simply because of access. I think so frequently as marketers, that's not a consideration. They're like, right. that's not my job, right? right? To, to look at um, patient access, but it's so important in terms of being credible. And if you can ultimately, I think, lead an organization in a f- truly transformational right. way, it's going to include operations and sharing the, mm-hmm. you know, viability and security of that patient in your health system. I've heard this term, I've actually used this term, the digital front door, right? right. And and we and, and, and many times it's like when organizations sometimes look at their digital front door and try to make that easier from, from an access perspective. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Certainly the digital front door can help, but physician change management in and of itself is ah. such a large component of this. I mean, the reality is this hospital systems historically have been entirely focused on the physicians, right? Ah. The physicians are the center of care. Ah, the physicians are the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a change management that needs to happen to have the doctors as well as the health system actually understand the patient is the center of mm-hmm. and the nexus of mm-hmm. where things need to occur. Opening up your schedule is important. Understanding and diverting patients to potentially less uh, points where there's less friction for them to be able to get access, to be able to get um, the cost potentially that they need to, whether it's urgent care or whatever it may be. The physician needs to have an ability to kind of give that up. Um, Now, there is, I think, a very opportunistic ability for physicians to move into the virtual space now. Uh-huh. Um, if And in the first movers in that space, I think, will be highly advantages. The doctors that open up their schedules, the doctors that are willing to see patients virtually um, will, in the end, I think, win a lot of the business and the day. And so sure. I think you see a lot of focus there. Sure. So, you know, and, and that speaks to the fact that sometimes consumers are not loyal to that provider by name anymore. Rarely. Right? Mm-hmm. They're, it's, they're now opting in more for convenience and access. Um, being able to see a doctor on the weekends or being able to access you know urgent support or even non-urgent care after hours that that might be a hard thing for you know the the, the various doctors the primary cares the eds the urgent urgent care centers to really understand that it's not the doctor anymore 
it's really about the patient. The patient. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that when you work with organizations that you help them with around this? In terms of understanding the patient journey mapping, where you can wrap technologies mm-hmm. around um, that consumer and what, um, what points you know, you're, you're able to provide a solution mm-hmm. for them that speaks to your brand and your care and who you want to be. Um, as an organization, but you know, at the same time, those adoptive and the adoption of technologies by physicians is still a challenge, and I think it's a challenge that all vendors face, and they don't necessarily want to talk about the lift that's required to install so much of the technology sure. that is out there, and that you know, the the fatigue mm-hmm. that exists with the physicians as well. I think it's very important to strategically align. And to make sure that you have a rollout plan and an implementation plan with your doctors that's going to be, you know, convenient and fit into them and their lifestyle mm-hmm. as well. You're, you're having to play to a lot of different um, partners. Being thoughtful about it and actually putting your vendors through the process where you ask them for implementation plans and truly what the lift is that is required mm-hmm. and demanding from them that support and that service to Sherpa you through. Yeah. And and also actually setting performance in many of the contracts to say, you know, if we don't have this level of engagement mm-hmm. and we don't have this, it's not working for us. Sure. And I think that can be incredibly important. So taking organizations through those steps to push and apply pressure um, in those places so they do get the performance that they need is important. Yeah. In my own experience, you know, it's like working with what it, whatever it may be, let's say an online appointment scheduling system or, or vendor, right? Uh, it's really counting on them and their experience to really help facilitate and drive that and make it much easier because you're right you can create all these great tools to make it easier for the consumer to access care but if your physician audience isn't bought into these digital tools it's not going to succeed right right correct i mean that is you know a big part of the challenge that these are you know go hand in hand um the Mm -hmm. consumer and the physician are Mm -hmm. both your customers um making that collaborative effort is key But again, truly having a thoughtful approach and actually demanding it from your vendor, Mm -hmm. I think is incredibly important too. So we we go down this path here, right? And if we do it right, there's a huge upside here. It's not just consumerism. It's not just addressing the consumer's needs. There's also a financial impact if you do it right. Is that right? Right now in the hospital market, a kind of champagne philosophy um, where there's a lot of unnecessary, where digital may be perceived as unnecessary spend. And there's a lot of lift and a lot of money that's involved in the investment in these technologies. Mm -hmm. I think the question that every... CFO and every marketing person needs to ask is what is the truly measurable outcome and result of this? Mm -hmm. And is it in fact reducing enough friction and taking enough cost out of the healthcare system? Anytime you digitize, anytime you have a spend and a lift that is that heavy, at the end of the day, it better actually be saving money. Right now, we deal with a environment where you know healthcare is over four trillion dollars in terms of this spend in the United States. It's bigger than you know the GDP of Germany. Oh <laughs> and um, cost takeout strategies and the ability to apply technology and digital assets so they actually remove friction and remove cost from healthcare is important when thinking about your investment. You know, and especially being thoughtful as a marketer 
um, so much of it is like, oh, ads and, you know, the pretty right. components of, of things. But at the end of the day, how can that potentially be reducing cost inside of your system? And I think people need to start begging that question. I think we're going to potentially run into circumstances where, you know, there's been a flood of vendors into the market mm-hmm. and there's been a ton of VC investment into the market Mm -hmm. um, for all of these digital assets. But at the end of the day, if they're not truly providing ROI and they're not reducing spend and reducing um, the friction in healthcare, what's the purpose? Right. I always say that there's really three levels of ROI that you have to measure. One, it's about return on investment, how much money you make from the effort. The second is about how much money you can save by using, you know, whatever you're, you're, you're streamlining the process. And the third is about loyalty or reducing the friction, right? So those are your three levels. So do you have a specific example that you can share? Um, In terms of reducing friction in the environment and cost takeout, I think there are several places where this goes directly with virtual care. Mm -hmm. Um, The virtual care environment and telemedicine, you know, as it's been called, has been transforming. And there are a lot of different platforms that are out there right now and a lot of different vendors in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, The trick is going to be what is the easiest adopted um, by the physicians Mm -hmm. and fits into that model the best where the patients are believing that they're receiving Mm -hmm. the right care, Mm -hmm. you know, by a qualified individual. I think you see organizations like CRSMD or even One Medical, um, where you have almost a concierge-style service, where you have that ability to see somebody virtually and um, that consumer convenience demand is something that people are willing to pay for and that doctors are willing to adopt to. Um, But that's, I mean, virtual is really where I see right now the most opportunity to potentially have a leapfrog event in healthcare. It's just going to be... The heavy lift of, I think, getting the providers on board initially. The consumers definitely want it. Even the elderly, you know, are are wanting and demanding it. At a date when we can't even frequently get to online appointment scheduling, um, it's it's going to be hard. So what is it that that really drives that? I think um, a lot of organizations made the mistake of brick and mortar. Um, you know, we see urgent cares and facilities actually struggling now. That's not working. That just seems like really, you know, crazy when you think about what might be in the future there. It's like, I can, I can understand your care pathway to potentially start in a, in a virtual setting through like virtual care, or maybe that's your initial touch point mm-hmm. in the health system. And then eventually you lead into that face-to-face experience with that provider. And it could be multiple providers along the way, depending on what that care pathway is. And it goes in between offline and online the entire way. Uh, I, 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 What would you predict the future state to be? I think healthcare could go global very, very quickly yeah. in a virtual environment. Yeah. And cost could drive down exponentially. I think we're ready for disruption. Um, I think it needs to happen from the standpoint of the cost of care. It's a scary thing, but you know, you you could have a virtual globalization of healthcare that could very much so drive down costs. Wow! Very radical. Very radical. To well, think yeah, about. but think about that. You know, your competitor is no longer that no. you know that practice across the across the the city. Your competitor now can be in any different 
country. In India, in, yeah. in the Dominican, wherever it may wow. be. But it is something to, to think about. And, I, you know, we already have organizations certainly trying to stand up hospitals in China and different locations where we know there could be some uh, genesis and in, in really rebirth of what it is that's not so defined by the American healthcare system. Um, what that will look like and, you know, our ability to adopt and be open to it um, will be will be pretty interesting. But as we have this aging boomer generation um, and the costs that are actually associated with it, uh, it's, it's just a reality. And the burden on the system is going to be hit hard and heavy and very quickly. Um, with these aging boomers and you know half of them want to move and live in Mexico or Por- Portugal or so many of these other countries to begin with where healthcare is cheaper yeah. um, but but what happens when you have a virtual globalization um, it could be amazingly uh, beneficial at the same time you know scary but yeah. consumers are going to take healthcare into their own hands anyway yeah wow that opens up so many other questions <laughs> that we'll have to have you on in a future episode to talk about, like, what is the impact on claims data? How does how do we start to, you know, pull this all into a centralized uh, database so we can understand? There's so many implications from this. But um, I really appreciated your time today with you, Anne. If people that are listening in want to learn a little bit more about you, how can they do that? Well, ultimately, I am at Optum Advisory Services. The best way to reach me is certainly via email. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Stajahara, S-T-A-D-J-U-H-A, at advisory.com. Okay. Well, we'll definitely put a link um, in our show notes so people can do that. And also a link to your LinkedIn profile and other places that can find you online. Thanks so much for sharing all your great ideas with us today. Thank you, Chris. It was great to see you as always. Great to catch up. Bye-bye. Okay, Reed, wrapping up the show here. We want to thank Ann Stajahar for that great interview that she gave us. She uh, has been seeing a lot of changes to how digital transformation is really impacting the overall customer journey. And uh, some of the, her insights are pretty interesting. So thank you so much, Ann, for your interview. It's been a good episode overall. It has. It has. Um, it's been great. It, it's it's something we probably will revisit from time to time, and of course, talk about in and amongst other episodes quite a bit. But you know, everything we do is really starting to kind of angle back towards that experience piece, and so I think that's just evident of how this is all uh, the industry's changing and these roles are changing. So, if you have not, uh, we would certainly appreciate you subscribing to the show. Let us know how we're doing. Rate, review us, all that kind of good stuff, wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. Speaking of podcasts, um, be sure to check out the other ones on the Touchpoint Media Network over at touchpoint.health. Uh, we would love, uh, love your feedback on those as well. And I'm sure those show hosts, Dr. V, John Mason, and others uh, would also like to hear from you. So, so it's, it's, been, uh, it's been great. Uh, it's a great episode. And uh, let's end with a couple of reviews. Uh, recommendations, not reviews, I guess. I'm not actually reviewing anything. I'm just recommending it. <laughs> That's true. Well, I'm going to go a little bit highbrow with my uh, recommendation today, and I'm going to recommend going to the orchestra. Mm. 
So one of the things that my wife and I like to do is we like to go visit the Minnesota Orchestra on a regular basis. It's uh, great. Classical music is just amazing. It's very relaxing. It's a great, great time. And local orchestras are very much community-oriented. They tend to be really actively involved, but they overall, they're very, very talented. And the Minnesota Orchestra is one to, to really recommend. And I'm just going to share with you some of the great things coming up here at the orchestra here, just to show you kind of the, the variety of different uh, different types of shows that you can get from a local community orchestra. So first of all, um, they're doing a, sh- a show celebrating the musical spirit of a diverse and vibrant nation by playing American expressions, sort of the history of Americana music. Then afterwards, they do Bernstein, Copeland, and Gershwin concerts. So like, you know, really, really nice uh, modern classical music. And then followed by the Star Wars New Hope in concert, where they're actually playing along with the Star Wars movie. Uh, which is pretty fun. I mean, when you go to the local orchestra, you're going to get some great shows. They're very entertaining. And I just recommend just going. It's, it's a lot of fun. Plus, you get to dress up in your uh, in your suit and or your dress, you know, depending on how you like to dress, and just go out and have a night on the town. Very nice. Good recommendation. Uh, mine's a little bit different, and it's not really going to be that easy for you to start doing this, but um, I think... It's a good recommendation. So would love uh, would love feedbacks. I'm going to recommend the metric system. Oh, <laughs> so let that sink in for a second. <laughs> I don't understand why we're not on the metric system at this point. I, there's so many pros. All you got to do is move the decimal around. That's it. And like the prefixes, like you know, kilo. Okay, you know that's a thousand. You know, one kilometer thousand meters etc it just you don't have to worry about like you know quarter and eighth and move this to nine thirty seconds and all that kind of stuff it just you know just makes so much more sense so much more cleaner it's just simple just simpler so i'm re- i'm recommending the metric system oh boy reed we could get into the whole thing about you know like not only is it good easy to, to measure and to weigh things, etc. But we could even implement a metric calendar. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm smart enough to do that. But I just like the fact that like, if I need a larger wrench, I know to ask for you know, like, hand me a 15 if I'm holding a 14, you know, anyway. <laughs> so it just makes uh, makes more sense. So all right. Well, for all those that love the metric system, and everyone else, we certainly appreciate you listening. <laughs> Uh, Again, touchpoint.health is the website, and uh, we would love to hear back from you and uh, let us know how we're doing. Until next week, I'm Reed Smith, and he's Chris Boyer. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.